Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is September 4th, 2017, and this is episode 216. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. In this episode, we're going to figure out what to do with the Orioles' current bullpen construction and figure out how uh, we can uh, maintain some order when our starters only go four innings per game. That never happens. That never happens. We'll also figure out what exactly is going on with the Orioles. Yes, what is going on with the Orioles? And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, drink of the week. What are you doing this week? My drink of the week has been fantastic. I don't know if we've talked about on air our friend whose father has been uh, purchasing alcohol that's been ending up at our house. Uh, but we do. Scott and I have a dear friend whose whose dad has been uh, over purchasing, and so uh, our, our friend does not drink the stuff, and so it's been finding its way to our house. First, it was gin. Uh, now he's moved on to brandy, and so I've been trying, brandy. I've been trying to consume the brandy as much as possible, and so I've been making sangria all week, all week, D- different sangria, red sangria reference uh, recipes, and it's been pretty spectacular what is the recipe for use of brandy and sangria uh wine brandy a little bit of orange juice yeah but i'm some... talking proportions here oh it's not a ton it's okay. not a ton it's like i don't know one to four gotcha maybe. so, so it's, a, it's a dabble basically yeah okay you gotta gotcha. work yourself through a lot of sangria to use up a bottle of brandy now if you're using the brandy can it go into red and white sangria or is it just a red uh, I don't think that white sangria is a thing. I think you just made that up. Uh, didn't you talk to me one time about your aunt making some kick in white sangria at one no, point? All red. Okay. It's all red. It's the only kind of sangria that matters. Seems don't bi- add me. Seems biased. So you're doing gin and tonics this evening. This evening, uh, gin and tonics. But my drink of the week is the red sangria. Gotcha. Jake, I'm doing a Kentucky bourbon barrel stout. Um, we're starting to enter into fall, um, which is actually one of my favorite times to so, drink beer. So it's got pumpkins in it? Uh, no, this has um, some lovely coffee notes um, and um, a, a nice kind of uh, bourbon layered texture to it. Um, not one of my favorite stouts, but it was on sale at the store, so it goes into my grocery. It was your favorite this week. It's my favorite this week for for five ninety nine. Um, I don't know why they, it was so cheap. Typically, it's closer to seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine. Don't know. It seems like it's okay though. Did you just open up a liquor store circular? That's what we need to do on the show. Number five. <laughs> <laughs> With that. Uh, you can follow us on Untapped at MAGN8606 for myself. And I'm at JakeE4025. And with that, let's go ahead and dabble on over to the medical wing. Editing note for Bird's Eye View never place your beer right in front of the soundboard. <laughs> That makes it tickle a lot. It does make it tickle a lot. All right. So, Jake, um, I personally don't think there's too much going on right now in terms of the medical wing. Uh, you've got Craig Gentry, who is on the DL, scheduled to see a specialist to see if he could actually even come back this season, mentioning, oh, I probably won't be able to play in the field, but I could be a, a base runner. Um, who cares? I think that's a big deal. Okay. I think that's a big deal because I think the lack of Craig Gentry will make Buck Showalter a little more reticent to replace a competent defender because he knows that all he's got to go to are guys like uh, Joey Rickard, who, despite his insistence on playing him, he probably realizes not as great defensively, as well as Smith um, and, and, you know, Flaherty, I guess, in a late inning uh, situation. But Craig Gentry is the perfect guy for expanded rosters, right? Somebody needs to be hit for, 
you you throw Pedro Alvarez up there for an at bat and then put Craig Gentry in right afterward to to hold the lead. I think that's actually probably weighs on on Showalter a lot. Jake, I just drank the first of my beer. I I understand now I was five ninety nine. <laughs> I feel used and abused here. It tastes like cough syrup, actually. Was it the beer or was it listening to me? Talk about Craig Gentry. Did it may, that, it may that have, sour the beer. It, it may have both, been both, but at this point, um, this one's going to get put aside. <laughs> anyway, um, the other one was J.J. Hardy, who received a cortisone injection. Is this just delaying the inevitable? Oh, at this absolutely. Point? Absolutely. Jake, when do you put the horse out to pasture? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen Old Yeller, but uh, I was a dog. But can we just send J.J. Hardy to the glue factory? Sure. Okay. Um, all right. Is there anything else going on in the medical wing? No, the only thing that's hurt is my heart. All right, well, let's go to 140 characters less this week on the Twitters. First tweet goes to for the sufferance of the game. Uh, this tweet comes from uh, Jackie Tillman Hardy at Jackie T Hardy. Uh, caps lock. Love Trumbo. Hate, hate, hate the Jones self-serving pie in the face stupidity. Please stop that childish nonsense. Uh, yeah, let's not enjoy our baseball. Let's not. Let's, do it. let's not have a good time. You know, this is a person that probably hates high socks because, you know, it's it's just claiming flashy. It's flashy. Self-serving. Exactly. Just go back and basically wear the team uniform and don't spice it up at all. What do you think this person thought of Players Weekend? I think she had a lot of a lot of issues, probably more so than even we had. It. But, um, yeah. All right, next. I want to talk about a, Birdland great again. <laughs> I want to talk about a tweet. That uh, oh, never mind. That's Josh Rokin, Matt Rokin. <laughs> regardless of his accomplishments, Joe Flacco will always be remembered for the hashtag elite debates. This is a tweet that comes to us from the Chicago Cubs, who, of course, tweet at Cubs hashtag elite with a picture of some some guy wearing a uh, a Joe Flacco. Jo- oh, some guy. It's not some guy. It's old friend Baltimore's beloved son uh, by way of Japan. I, I, Baltimore's rising sun there you go koji uohara it's funny because his translator is in the picture too and it's some guy so <laughs> i think it's great that koji is still uh repping baltimore in his ravens gear do you think that the cubs went to the locker room and said we want everybody to put on like a football jersey and coach is just like what is football <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think he's probably cool enough that he he realizes not only the uh the stir that it causes when he doesn't wear the chicago stuff but also if you're going to uh rep a player to have the ridiculous joe flacco discussion i I think i think there are layers to koji and this is just one of them uh jake uh, it's been a very up and down year at least for the 2017 orioles uh friend of the show lila shapiro seer um tweeted at lila sc the orioles are suddenly very frustrating of course this is in reference to uh the end of the blue Jays series um, coming off uh, a, a star-spangled aspect of how well they did with their winning streak, and then getting into the Toronto Blue Jays series where you thought, well, even if they lose one, they'll get three out of four. But splitting that series seems to have uh, rankled the rankled most of Birdland in the process. So is this any surprise, though? I mean, we've seen the Orioles go on hot streaks and then come back right back down to earth and come at the very end of it, come out to be 500. I mean, are we expecting anything any, anything less? The only thing I'll say about that stretch is that it was nice to see them handle their business against good teams and struggle against the Blue Jays. Because if it had happened in reverse, I would feel very differently about that stretch of games. Gotcha. Uh, the next is a tweet that comes to us from Suspetus Family Barbecue, who, of course, tweet at Suspetus BBQ. And this tweet is true only in our hearts, Scott. It's not a question of if... The Orioles are better than the Dodgers, but rather exactly how much better the Orioles are. Now, of course, this tweet came to us on August 30th, 2017, when the Orioles were flying high and the Dodgers were, you know, starting to look mortal again. But uh, that's not true. That's not true in any way, shape or form. Yeah, Uh, I thought this was an interesting discussion. It was um, after the Dylan Bundy um, game where he had a complete game shutout. Um, and then there's a discussion between Matt Kremitzer and Camden Depot, um, John Shepard. Um, and it usually had, was a conversation about whether or not Dylan Bundy should have been able to complete that game. Um, and it came down to John posted this um, and he says, uh, it's really the crux of the argument of how far do you push it? What are the reasons for pushing it? What do you get out of it? And I think this is a really interesting conversation. Everyone wants to see a player be able to go for a complete game shutout. Um, 
because it's fun, it's a note, and it's something that you don't get to see very often, especially if you're an Orioles fan. But the question is, especially when you're dealing with a player such as Dylan Bundy, who's been putting on an innings limit, and the Orioles are already kind of spacing out his starts, what benefit does it get you to get that additional inning um, going into the next game? Um, there are some people who say it's good for you know the mental perspective or it's good for the team in general because it gives them kind of a impetus to say, hey, you know, that guy pitched so good, so I'm going to go out and pitch the next day. But these are really stretches of logic is the best way to describe it. So I, I thought this was interesting because I can see both sides of the argument. Um, but the thing is that I am not moved by the, oh, you know, it'll make us feel good or it'll make him feel good to go out and get that inning. I'm also, however, not moved by the argument of, well, we should limit his innings in this particular in this particular appearance in a stretch where he's not he's not laboring um because reasons right and if there was some way to say look he needs to stay under 85 pitches because mm-hmm. right if there if there was some argument to be made of there is a, a line in the sand here that is proven to be his effectiveness is going to go down over the next three starts because of his usage over the the previous four i would say okay i'm down but i would say that the the antithesis of well he shouldn't go that extra inning because reasons is is almost as good as well he should go that extra inning because feels right and and i and i understand the well he's on an innings limit and i understand that it it doesn't sound like a good idea but when i hear things like it just doesn't sound like a good idea it also doesn't feel very scientific yeah, I, I, I think putting in perspective, though, is we do have data that out there that indicates that um, an individual that has never pitched like this before is probably entering into a, a danger zone. Um, and I think from a scientific standpoint, we can basically look at the various trends and look at other cursory analysis and say, this is probably not a good idea, but each individual is different in this case but it's probably not a good idea in there is no hard, fast rule, especially from a health situation where everyone's going to say, all right, Dylan Bundy is the same as rich Hill. Rich Hill is the same as, you know, Clayton Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw is the same exactly as David price. Each of these pitchers has a different way to go about doing it to say that it has to be cut off at a certain pitch point. It's, it's somewhat ridiculous by that, that kind of logical notion. But there is no aspect out there to say, oh, well, you know, if that person throws a complete game shutout, the the probability that the next pitcher is going to have a better game is out there. No, like the statistical analysis would come back and show of saying, no, the the talent is the talent. Your talent is basically going to play to the way it's going to be. Momentum, as we've pointed out before, is just the next day starter. And the next day starter is not going to take anything more at a Dylan Bundy start than them going in there and pitching the next game. I wouldn't have sent it back out there, but at the same time, I don't think those extra 16 pitches or whatever caused what happened in today's start. So it's like, it, it really, I, I think, is a crapshoot. We'll never know. <laughs> All right, our last tweet uh, is just barf. This tweet is just sickness. Mm. Uh, this comes to us from our, our dear friends over at BP Toronto. You really want to call them dear friends? Friends of the program, absolutely. Okay. Uh, at BP Toronto. They tweet as follows. They're more like our foreign exchange students, okay? (laughs) That we like to take advantage of occasionally. They're just so loony. Steve Pierce has done exactly what the Blue Jays brought him in to do. A nice piece to take into 2018. That hurts my heart, boys. That hurts my heart. Yeah. So, Jake, I have a question for you. What the heck is going on with the Orioles? I have an idea, Scott. Why don't we present a a short, uh, sweet, little update that we can just throw out there and get it all out of the way so we don't have to talk about it throughout the episode. All right. So almost like an update, as it were? Something like a newsflash. All right. Well, let me see what I can do with this. Uh, so similar in vain to maybe the hashtag Brian Roberts watch? What the heck is going on? With the Baltimore Orioles? That's right. It's time for What the Heck is Going On with Baltimore Orioles. As it I am stands, so glad that we went back to the same sound effect that we used for the Brian Roberts watch. I didn't even realize it was the same. It's the same exact one. <laughs> We're awesome at this. All right. As it stands today on Monday, uh, September 4th, 2017, Labor Day, before the rest of the late games have finished, the Orioles, well, 
they're still on the outside looking in, but they still have a puncher's chance. Uh, they stand, as of right now, two games out of the second wild card position. And, of course, at that point, four and a half out of the first wild card position, losing today to the New York Yankees. Scott, it looks like the Angels are going to lose late. Uh, it, Angels going to win late. Right. Yeah. They're going to win late. Uh, what about the Minnesota Twins? Or do we even need to think about them at this point? Absolutely. You should be looking at the Twins because I think the Twins are in the driver's seat, really, for the wild card, looking at the rest of their schedule. I I honestly just don't see the situation happening where the Twins can pull off this swan song where they're going to basically be eclipsed by the Baltimore Orioles. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll see. That's what baseball is all about. The Twins, as of right now in the fifth, are losing 2-1 to one to the Tampa Bay Rays. I think that the Orioles at this point are, are close enough to still be relevant. Uh, but the real question is, you know, they, they lost a, a game today against the Yankees. And you can say, oh, it was a killer. Or you can say, oh, it's no big deal. But at some point, you have to start winning those games to inch closer and get into the wild card. So, Scott, how big of a killer is this game? What do you think the Orioles have left in the tank? I'm going with my categorization of meh here. I, I think that you, if you look at it, whoa, whoa, don't be so extreme. Yeah, I, I think everyone is going off the handle um, because the Yankees came to town. Everyone's like, well, if we can sweep the Yankees, we're right back in there for the wild card spot. But let's be realistic. The Orioles were not going to sweep the New York Yankees. It, it just wasn't going to happen. But, you know, it does come back to um, coming into this series, um, it was more than likely that the Orioles were going to need about 15 wins and 10 losses. So now the Orioles have nine losses that they can pretty much salvage, um, potentially a playoffs playoff, you know, straight four. So every single time you take one of these losses, you inch closer and closer to that elimination point where no matter what happens, it's, it's, you can't make up for it. So, um, it's, it's, it's not great, but you come back and you say, let's take the next two out of three. Um, And we'll go from there. Um, I I think my bigger concern is looking at the schedule for the next two weeks. It is not very friendly um, to the Baltimore Orioles in terms of who they're going up against. Yeah. And so you really at that point have to hope that not only do the Orioles perform well, but that the Twins and the Angels and the Mariners and the Yankees screw up. Um, The Orioles are in the discussion. These are technically meaningful games. And until they get themselves all the way out of it, I think you have to take it one game at a time and realize, okay, we lost today. It's not the end of the world. Or we won today. Great. Elimination is staved off for one more day. You know, during the Dark Ages, I used to pay a lot of attention to the elimination number, right? Right. Because at some point in, oh, I don't know, July, they were no longer... They were no longer meaningful games. Right. Even a possibility. Right. We are still at the point where we're playing meaningful games. This this series against the Yankees matters. Now, I wrote a a blog post about fantasy baseball and the fact that it was a complete fantasy that the Orioles were going to sweep uh, the Yankees. But it's still possible for them to make hay if they do win two out of three or if they get themselves swept out. But the Twins and the Angels are unlucky. They're still in good position to live that next day to see if they can avoid failure that next day. So that is what the heck is going on with the Baltimore Orioles. You're Weekly look at the ledge. So if we had to summarize uh, one word to put where the Orioles are in their current position, what would be the word that you would use? Extreme meh. All right. So you're going to go with two words, extreme meh. (laughs) I'm going to go with my word was if as my word for the week for the Orioles. Uh, Jake, why don't we go ahead and dabble into a little bullpen construction because it's been really interesting, especially coming into today's game. All right, Jake. So uh, there's a lot of folks that are blaming uh, the Baltimore Orioles loss today on the um, destroyed Baltimore bullpen is the best way to describe it. Whereas Buck Walter mentioned today in his post game that uh, three to four pitchers were unavailable for the team due to um, the amount of extra inning games and the basically the inability for the starters to go deep into games. So looking at the bullpen, uh, you've got Britton Brock, uh, Richard Blyer, Darren O'Day, Michael Gibbons, Miguel Castro, Donnie Donnie Hart, which we'll put in major quotation marks as being a, an actual bullpen arm. 
And then there's three extra arms that have been brought up since expanded rosters have popped up. He is alive, and he sits in the bullpen. Allegedly. Uh, we've got Richard Rodriguez. You got Jimmy Yacobanis, and you got Gabriel Enoa. Not Enoa, Enoa. Even though Brock continues to make Enoa puns, um, it's what he does. It's his way. It's it's his way. So Jake, um, I, I certainly am very intrigued um, by these are your three extra arms that have come up in a bullpen, and this kind of comes back to the point that I made um, in late August when I was doing gloom of. There really was nobody coming up, at least from a pitching standpoint, that would really excite me. Um, and, and, and certainly looking at this list, um, there is nothing here that truly excites me. So I, I don't know about you, but, you know, these guys maybe had great minors stats, but you look at them from a talent standpoint, and they're obviously going to get exposed um, well, in the majors. Look, I mean, we're in a position where three guys who weren't good enough to be in the majors for most of the season are now being thrust into the the bullpen of a team that is trying to make the playoffs. They are in the playoff hunt. And that is just not a good situation. I mean, we had a, a player in in Richard Rodriguez who recorded his first major league strikeout in a game that mattered. Um, and, and I really think that these extras need to be treated as such, right? If we get into a game where things look bleak and our starter goes 3.2 innings, that's the time where Enoa needs to put in, you know, six innings of relief and damn the torpedoes and we'll go get them tomorrow because that's the kind of thing that's going to keep one loss from turning into six losses, right? But the the real thing is is how how much can you use the guys that are actually good. Now, you made the point that that Donnie Hart, one of our, you know, prime seven so to speak, is not <clears throat> fantastic. And that's sad because, you know, he pitched his way onto the team last year. He was a, a surefire thing for making the club and then he pitched his way off the team and now he's back basically as just one of the extras. So you're down to six really quality bullpen arms and they can't pitch every day and this poor guy uh, miguel castro has been amazing but if you keep going to that well he's going to get ruined so i want to know what the alternative is well the the first good alternative is that the starters you know start pitching but that's not going to happen while we're talking about the starters though you know we're basically in a six-man rotation at this point he's using one of the ineffective starters in the bullpen a viable option for moving forward in a game like, say, today, where Dylan Bundy goes short? Who? Who would come in? Well, that's a good question. But the thing is, is that if if the rest of our starters, uh, the bad ones... By the way, you forgot Alec Asher on this list. I did forget Alec Asher. So that's four people that came up. Okay. He's he's a fourth extra. Okay. But if, um, if, you know, if our starters can't go more than once through the rotation, well, that's three innings. Right, that's three innings of relief. If you pull out a a Chris Tillman and you say, "Okay, well, when one of our guys craps out, you're going to be the uh, you're going to be the other half of that game," is that any worse than ruining three or four guys and making them unavailable for the rest of the game or for the rest of the games of that week? So I think this gets into the question of we talked about in previous seasons of what would happen if the Orioles went with a three or four man rotation and instead of worrying about going with a five-man rotation you basically say go out there get two times to the order and then we're pulling you no matter what and then we're going to bring in your your next pitcher so i I originally thought that the orioles may try to pull this off with a tillman and or uh, a miley or a baldo Uh, and i thought that jason aquino would be one individual that the orioles would bring up but the orioles have not decided to bring up jason aquino I thought Aquino and Asher were going to be those two pitchers where they're going to basically try to stretch them out and then use Castro in that regard, too. And well, I, I tried to forget Alec Asher, so, you know. Right, but, I mean, of those three, I think those could be your three long men, for example. I, I think back to the past, and I think back to we've always had that long man that's been able to go, and I think Castro has been kind of that saving grace as it, mm-hmm. as it is. But unfortunately, you know, you can't continue to bring in a multi-inning relief pitcher every single day as Castro has been needed. So you almost need a secondary individual who can go multiple relief innings. And I think that's who the Orioles are kind of looking for right now. Michael Givens used to be that, but Michael Givens now has taken a different role. Um, But I I raised the question of looking at the rest of the people that are on the 40-man roster, the, the names that pop out to me would be Jason Aquino, Alec Asher, and then Chris Lee would be another one that would be intriguing to me as a long man, 
realize there's a major issue there from a command standpoint, so you're dealing with walks. But maybe you get into a situation where you say, we're going to put Chris Lee in there, and he's going to go two or three innings, hopefully. And if he walks some batters in, that's going to happen. Like, and that's just part of the case. You know, it's better than, you know, throwing the ball right over the middle of the plate and giving up a home run in the process. Well, here's a surprising thing to me. The Orioles have gone for an attempt at quality rather than quantity. And what I mean by that is you don't see right, right? Logan Verrett and... Uh, and Do we just say right quality right there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but... You know, Verrett and Wilson were DFA'd, and I was surprised that that was the the loss to the forty man to to do some roster manipulation because those are exactly the kind of guys that have been given chances in the past. And here we are again trying to make the playoffs, and guys like Wright and Wilson and Verrett are not being given their tacit, um, uh, you know, chance to to contribute and and eventually let us down. So I think that they're they're trying to try, but the arms just aren't there. And as much as Dan Duquette will say, oh, look at our great minor league system, our minor league system is not one that churns out prospects that can be useful in a late pennant chase or playoff hunt. Not arguing with you whatsoever. I just, like I said, I I think that the Orioles are, usually they're very good in terms of the aspect of working through September and basically bringing up and being able to use their roster to their maximum availability. This year, I really feel like that's not the case. Um, And i was preaching about that in early August, but I, I don't know what the Orioles are going to do about it. I mean, this really comes back to the point of um, the Orioles starters are not good enough and the bullpen is suffering because of it. Um, and, and to be fair, they're suffering even more so because of the extra inning games. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you would think that with a 40 man roster, the Orioles would be able to manage and it doesn't seem like they're able to manage for the time being. What have your thoughts been about Richard Blyer? I don't understand why Richard Blyer is so good. That's my thoughts. <laughs> let's not let's not look into the mirror and and wonder why. Uh, the question is: Is Richard Blyer an arm at this point that you are relieved when he comes in? Like when you see him trotting onto the field, uh, recognizable only by the number on his back. Do you say, "Oh, good, it's Richard Blyer," or are you still at the point where you're like, "Oh God, it's one of the nameless guys." Here's hoping. I, I put. Richard Blyer in a similar category that I do for 2012 Brian Mattis, whereas he comes in and I say, oh, he might actually be okay here, but I'm waiting for the eventual boom. Look, we're going to have to have a talk about Brian Mattis references. All right. I don't want to hear his name. I don't want to think about him. I don't want to relive those memories. Don't don't make me think of Brian Mattis when I see Richard Blyer. Richard Blyer doesn't really do anything for me to instill confidence or anything. Richard Blyer is just another name on my program. Uh, 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 I got you on this one. Okay. Richard Blyer is not Donnie Hart. Richard Blyer is not Donnie Hart, but I would say is Richard Blyer is potentially 2016 Donnie Hart. (laughs) So in 2018, when Richard Blyer comes back and folks think that he's going to be amazing once again, you may be disappointed. At this point, we just we're seeing somebody get up in the pen going, "It's a lefty." Oh, please don't let it be Donnie Hart. Oh, it's Blyer. Okay, yeah. I don't understand what's going on with Donnie Hart. I don't understand what his role is. And I still come back to you. Look at the lefties that the Orioles have in the organization with Jason Aquino, and you've got also um, Chris Lee. And I don't understand what the heck is the purpose for Donnie Hart right now in this bullpen. I think honestly, it's that he his presence doesn't hurt. At this point, and I would bet. Oh, I I beg to differ. His presence in the bullpen right now certainly hurts. No, his his presence on the mound hurts. Oh, 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 oh. But bringing him up and getting him another taste in the majors is probably better for his development than leaving him in the minors to finish out the end of the season or to get his golf clubs out, early, you know, a little bit earlier. I feel like this is a similar conversation that we used to have back in the dark ages with the cavalry of, well, we might as well get them up here and start throwing a few innings because being around the club and being around major league baseball hitters are going to basically craft them into something that they aren't. I didn't say I agreed with it. And I didn't say that it didn't make me feel like crap. I just think that's why he's here. I'm saying that Donnie Hart may be the Brad Bergeson of the 2017 Orioles. Oh man. Why are you trying to make me sad today? I'm just saying Donnie Hart does absolutely nothing for me as a pitcher. Um, 
again, he just gets whacked around is the best way to describe it. So the co- question comes back to, you know, if we're Buck Showalter, because it's, it's oh so easy from our couch, what do you do to improve the performance of this pen? I don't really think there's much in the, the way of his management of this pen that I can complain about. You know, today I looked at, at uh, Dylan Bundy's struggle, and I knew he was out of gas, and I knew there was no reason for him to be in there other than the fact that I wasn't sure that there were any better options to come in behind him and that winning today's game with that reliever wouldn't endanger tomorrow's game. Look, we came into today's game and we knew specifically that several relief pitchers were not going to be available. Buck did not say so Mm -hmm. before the game, but everyone, anyone that actually watches Orioles baseball knew this was the case. So I went to this game saying, whichever one starter is going to be better, that's the team that's going to win. And Dylan Bundy was not as good as, you know, Montgomery today. So the Yankees win. And it, it is as simple and easy as that equation um, as it were today. Now, you know, for the next two games, that's going to change where it's going to be a situation of now we're getting into a bullpen battle once again because the Orioles will again have all their resources available to them. Mm-hmm. But for this game, it really came down to which starter was going to go deeper and which starter was going to be the better starter today, and Dylan Bundy was not that person. So for you, if you had any axes to grind, anything with Buck's usage of the bullpen as of late that that leads you scratching your head or frustrated? Mm, not not particularly. I mean, you look at August's numbers with the bullpen, and they were very impressive is the best way to put it. Um, there's nothing that really has struck me as very odd the going to and Richard Rodriguez in, in a few situations um, where the game wasn't out of hand, but mm-hmm. it was some really critical moments was a little bit perplexing is the best way to describe it. But I understand that Buck is trying to maneuver the minefield, which is I can't keep going to Miguel Castro, Michael Gibbons, Darren O'Day, Brad Brock, and Zach Britton every single day mm-hmm. in order to get four to five innings, basically. Um, so I, I understand where they're coming from from that regard. Um, but I'm not sure if I would go to Richard Rodriguez, as you've pointed out, into such clutch situations. Well, I'm not trying to make excuses by any stretch of the imagination, because believe me, I'm just as frustrated. Watch our Twitter account. But I, I will say that, you know, Buck is is managing with with very few uh, palatable options. So that's that's the bullpen. I think we've managed to beat that into the ground. Scotty, is there any way I could talk you into going around the bases and touching on a few other uh, items this week in Orioles baseball. If you let me stretch out a limber first, we can definitely do that. All right, Jake, I'm still loosening it up over here, so why don't you go ahead and uh, start moseying on down to first base? Well, you know, Sunday was kids run the bases, so I just watched my kid do it. If, if he beats your time, you know, there's going to be hell to pay. Um, well, the first base, I want to talk about, I don't want to, but we're going to talk about Pygate 2.0. Um, we all hate, hate the end of fun, because everybody loves the pies, but I need to ask an unpleasant question, Scott. Mm-hmm. What if Trumbo is not wrong? In this situation, like, I, I don't know, the immediate knee jerk gut reaction was, what a jerk. But really, what if he's not wrong? What if it's okay to stand up against something that makes you uncomfortable in your workplace? What if there is a safety concern regarding the expense of thoroughbreds that we have playing baseball and the pie is just an unnecessary risk? I mean, is there an argument to be made for that? No, everyone loves pie. All right, I tried. I, th- I think you're right. Seriously, what a stick in the mud is is uh, Mark Trumbo. I mean, this is a guy whose quote-unquote nickname during the Players' Weekend was his own last name. Can you imagine this being the thing that causes tension in the in the clubhouse? This? The post-game celebration pie? Y- your teammates trying to make you one of the guys is the thing that you want to make an issue out of? I... I- Listen, I, I understand that there are always going to be gripes and beefs and stuff like that, but this makes no sense. I mean, it's kind of tradition within Major League Baseball clubhouses to do ridiculous things when you have a walk-off, and they're so rarely that they're going to happen. Just you accept it, and you move on is the best way to describe it. I mean, 
I'm, I'm really, unless you're going to do it in a joking manner. Like I'm thinking about like the Adrian Beltre where people try to touch his head right. and he's just like, all right, I get the joke. I'm going to play angry and basically keep along with the joke that's going on. Basically. Is it a matter of ego? I mean, is he just, does he think he's that much better than a scope or a Bundy or any of these guys that have gotten pies to the face? No, I don't think he's think he's better. I think he just is. I think he's just grumpy and just wants to just go about his business and play baseball and not go about the, all the aspects in the hoopla and the hollering. I mean, let's let's be clear. These guys, right after the post game press conference, I mean, like within minutes, are in the shower, right? Yeah. So he's got to deal with pie in his face for like ten minutes, probably ten. Yeah. So it's pie immediately, hand towel, have a brief conversation, and go take a shower. Boy, that's rough. That's rough living right there. Yeah, I don't really understand. It's interesting because I, you and I have talked about this off the show um, in terms of like Tim Beckham. And Tim Beckham really has seemed to really embrace the kind of culture and the fun aspect with like Machado and Scope and Jones. And then you look at like a Davis and a Trumbo and they kind of seem like they're a little bit on the outside. Yeah, but I think that Davis has reacted well to the pies before. Davis, I think, is more one of the guys then you know even even Marquez think, and Hardy were were you know made made their uh resistance to the pie sure. a fun thing i think davis is okay with it as long as his chaw doesn't come out of the process <laughs> basically all right so we're agreed uh mark trumbo is being a sissy girly pants yeah and i think it's a dangerous situation too because um i'm not so much worried about the clubhouse tension but i'm also very concerned more so about the aspect of Baltimore fans are very particular about players and stupid traditions. And this is certainly a stupid tradition, but it's our stupid tradition. So it would be similar to like a player coming out and saying, you know what? I really don't like it when the fans say, oh, I think that's disrespectful. It'd be like people would go absolutely bonkers. Similar to um, the Aubrey Huff incident when he called Baltimore uh, an S-town, basically. Um I'll be interested to see what happens with Mark Trumbo with the fans going forward. I, I have a feeling that I have a feeling that bad things may be coming to Mr. Trumbo. Well, as this week on the Twitter showed us, there is a certain segment of people that are right behind him and don't appreciate the foolishness. Yeah. Even us old men can enjoy a little fun once in a while. Absolutely. All right, let's head on over to second base. Uh, I want to talk about the O's offense. Scotty, are they in playoff form? Um, define playoff form. You okay. mean like playing up to being a playoff team or... No, playing like they would play in the playoffs. See, uh, let's uh. take today, uh, again, Monday's game as an example. Uh, the Orioles came out gangbusters, scored uh, three runs in the first two innings, uh, two or three, maybe th- three innings, um, and then curled up into the fetal position and failed to collect a hit from the fourth inning to the, the ninth inning. Or mm-hmm. I guess they, they, they got a hit in the fourth. So from the fifth to the ninth. Um, I understand that in the playoffs you, you see good pitchers. But my memory of 12 and 14 and 16 is that the offense went to sleep. And I'm watching a stretch of, of baseball here where the Orioles' offense is starting to fall asleep in clutch situations. Scotty, I think I'm willing to call it. The Orioles' offense is in playoff form. So I, here's my argument to this is the Orioles, since the beginning of the second half, have been one of the best offenses in all of Major League Baseball. And it was only a matter of time before they hit a rough streak. I mean, there was no chance that the Orioles were going to go the entire half of the season and be the best in Major League Baseball for that entire period of time. So I'm expect I was expecting eventually the Orioles were going to cool down as it were. I mean, you look at the performances that Tim Beckham, Manny Machado were putting out, and you know it couldn't last. Um, and I don't think the Orioles are as bad as they have been during this Blue Jays series. I mean, you look at that that Sunday game with the runners in scoring position, and even today actually with the runners in scoring position, and there certainly seems to be a trend going on where the Orioles are not doing great offensively. But let's even go back to Thursday's game. Thursday's game, the offense exploded again. I think it's just going to be um, the right time, and it's going to happen. But for the time being, it's extremely frustrating. But, Jake, to answer your question whether or not they're actually playing like Orioles playoff baseball, the only way I can really answer you is through the through the matter of song. Mm-hmm. 
You're so cruel. Jake, it's not over yet. But the tears are coming. I can't hear the song without getting a little emotional <laughs> because of that 2014 ALCS. Oh, man. This is episode 99 or 99.9 99 or something like something that. like that, yeah. Oh, man. That's a good throwback. Yeah. All right, so third base. Let's go to third base. Scott, can I take you to third base? Let's go for it. <laughs> I want to talk about Jonathan Scope's MVP case. Uh, yeah, there really shouldn't be one. Look, it's nice that folks are starting to talk about Jonathan Scope and using the word scope and MVP in the same sentence, but that's really as far as it should go. I really think what it comes down to is this. For Baltimore fans, this is the Britain for Cy Young all over again, right? We know that he can't win the gold. We just want to hear that he might be on the podium. Yeah, this is the Baltimore chip on my shoulder. I want you to recognize that we're actually playing that well enough. Recognize. Um, and it's... It's still the point of Jonathan Scope isn't even the best second baseman in all the American League. I mean, you look at Jose Altuve's numbers, and Jose Altuve absolutely dwarfs Jonathan Scope from an offensive standpoint. And he doesn't dwarf very many people. He does not dwarf that many people. Um, but there's just so many other better players right now than Jonathan Scope, and that doesn't take anything away from Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope is having a career year um, and, and is playing some of the best baseball that you could ask for a player, but he's not the best player He's just a really good player. And to be a top 30 player in all Major League Baseball, I would take that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. The Hall of Really, Really Good is still a fun thing to watch. Um, the thing about Jonathan Scope is that, you know, I, I just tweeted this out the other day. He just eclipsed 100 RBIs. And even though, uh, you know, the RBI is a crap stat, you can still recognize and say a player doesn't reach that unless he's doing a lot of things well. Sure. Right. Um, and so it's nice. It's nice to see him hit all the home runs. It's nice to see him get those RBIs. It's nice to see him excel in, in the real stats. But it's nice to also to see him turn in good defensive performances, you know, to get the clutch hits. It's nice to see him be the guy in the way that he hasn't been. And, uh, you know, if that's not good enough for you, pay attention, you know, a little bit closer to the baseball. He won't be the MVP, but he's he's our guy enjoy him yeah he's still really good and again you always need those really good players to basically you know fuel you to the playoffs again you look at the angels for example you've got mike trout but then you've got andrew simmons who is again playing out of his mind is simmons an mvp candidate no but he's a really good player you know he might get an mvp vote or two but he's not the best player in all mvp if someone looks at a team like the angels they're going to say would you rather have Mike Trout or would you have Simmons? And everyone's going to say, I'd rather have Mike Trout. He's my MVP. And it's the same thing of, would you rather have Simmons or would you rather have Altuve? I'd rather have Altuve. Let me ask you this. Sure. Do you think that Jonathan Scope can have the kind of career, the career, if he continues on this trajectory, of a guy like Adam Jones? Adam Jones is a guy who's never going to be in the Hall of Fame. Again, he's a Hall of Very, Very Good player. He's a guy that is a heck of a lot of fun to watch. He's a guy that can take over a baseball game. He's a guy that can carry a team for weeks on end. He's the heart and soul of this club. He'll be an Oriole Hall of Famer for sure. So my question to you is, do you think that that's the type of player that Jonathan Scope can aspire to be, or do you think this is a flash in the pan for him? It's possible that he could be as good as Jones. I just don't think it's going to happen but it's not improbable i mean you look at the trajectory that jones took and scope is kind of peaking right at the same time jones has we've always talked about jones and scope having a very similar plate discipline and approach <laughs> um so it is possible i just think that jones is is a better player than scope is overall um and that's just me being a personal opinion but i think scope can be very close to a jones-esque player um, which is extremely valuable for this team if the Orioles wanted to go out and re-sign him again. But I also think that if you look at his scope, I think he's going to get similar money to what a Jones got, which was Jones got six years and $85.5 I think that it's going to be a similar number for a scope where it's you're good, but you're not Manny Machado good. So we're willing to basically offer you close to a $100 million deal and let's make something happen. I would lock him up for that. Yeah, I think I would probably do the same thing. I think that... I've said before, I think he's a solid two-war player every single year for the next five years. And if that's the case, then he should be worth, we'll call it $80 million. So 80 to 100, 
that's about right, like I said. But again, those are very similar Adam Jones contract numbers to what you would expect. All right, Scotty, let's take it home. We're, we're in a home plate. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about showing up to the ballpark. No, no, this is not an attendance discussion. Sorry, Derek Arnold. Sit yourself down. Um, you and I showed up to Saturday, uh, Sunday's game, um, and you know, I, I took uh, my son. You took your son. My dad was there. My brother was there. It was quite a day. Um, and it got me to thinking about some of my my personal game day traditions. Um, you know, my my park uh, experience has changed a lot over the the years. You know, as our family's expanded, as my let's say my lifestyle has changed a little bit. So, Jake, just as a little perspective, you actually have a house down in Pigtown within a stone's throw of Camden Yard. So, you went to many a games in your younger days before kids, correct? The the guidance to the realtor was, I need a place I can stagger home from the ballpark. Gotcha. So, Jake, walk me through a, a given night where you were staggering to the ballpark and then away from the ballpark during the dark ages. Well, the, for us, the the game uh, experience began not at Pickles because I don't, I don't really like the hubbub, but I was so sad to see the Camden Pub close mm. because I liked being able to walk up, grab a drink at the Camden Pub, get some <clears throat> local color. Uh, and flavor of the uh, of the downtown folk, and then go on to the game. Um, and uh, you know, then when we moved out for a, for a long time, we parked over at the Penn and Pratt um, parking garage, which is still, I mean, you know, dollar for dollar, probably one of the best values to go ahead and park near the stadium. But again, it took us on that that same uh, walk. So for me, a big part of it was finding a place that wasn't the watering hole everybody went to sure. but finding you know your own your own little, your little thing. niche basically yes right and uh i've always been a food hoarder like I, I i love the fact that the orioles are so uh liberal in their policy for what you can and cannot bring in so even to this day um you know we'll we'll bring our lunch and we'll try to get those uh picking tables out by the statues or their picking table upstairs whatever so we'll eat our lunch and then you know go into the sure. to the park or or up to our seats um, but it's interesting, like, you know, now it's all a matter of like, well, now I have a beer at the stadium, sure. right? Because cause I don't want to pay an arm and a leg for that. You know, if my kids aren't monsters, they, they each get an ice cream. Um, but that's that's the thing. Now, now instead of Penn and Pratt, we usually do, you know, Lot C because it's a little bit closer and sure. tiny little legs, that kind of thing. Um, I make my kid walk like we're too cheap for that. It's horseshoe. And people look at me like, why are you taking your kid into a, into a casino? I'm like, eh, it's free, so... We're gonna make this happen. We we usually do that, but my kid just broke his arm, and I've just felt so bad for him. Yeah, didn't hurt his leg. <laughs> He's fine. Here's another thing I used to do. I used to every year uh, hit up one of the uh, the vendors right outside and buy one of those cheap uh, five dollar hats. Sure. Every season until the one that uh, looks like the players' weekend hat. Right. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Until uh, my wife put a kibosh on the on the. It wasn't the money. It was just that these hats were piling up everywhere. And it was literally, we were living in a house of hats. Jake, we literally opened your closet at one point, And we couldn't see the bottom of the floor because there were so many floppy hats and $5 hats in this closet. Well, you know, everybody's everybody's got their problems, Scott. Yes. And that's mine. But I Singing I, may be another one, but... Again, prior to kids, you know, I used to make sure that I spent at least an inning on the flag court of as many games as possible. You know, not so much anymore. I mean, what about you? What is, what is a must-do when you're at the game? Um, so a, a must-do for me at the game is I need to have a backpack full of snacks. I was raised from a childhood standpoint of we do not buy things from the concession area because of the price point. So my aspect was always we would always bring food or sandwiches or eat outside the stadium before we would go in. So I always remember... Um, Normally parking at uh, the Baltimore Arena uh, and then kind of walking down the street, um, getting a hot dog or a sausage, eating it, and then going into the stadium and then just being like, I'm allowed to have no soda, no popcorn, no cotton candy, no nothing. Me being within this hollowed ground is enough. It was like church, basically. Like I was walking in and sitting there and being on my best behavior. No, no, they let you eat at church. They actually, they encourage it. That might be the Catholicism coming out in you, but definitely as a Lutheran, they do not encourage eating until potluck afterwards, and then they all all for it. But that's that was one of my traditions back in the day. So I, I certainly have carried over some of those traditions of packing a large backpack of food. 
Sunday was a perfect example of this, of um, both of our kids are sitting together. And of course, what's the one thing to keep a child's interest during a baseball game? Well, of course, it's snacks. So it'd be, all right, I've got goldfish. Oh, you want something else? I've got peanuts. Oh, you need something else? I've got Gatorade. And it literally was a constant bag of pulling out food where everyone is looking at me around me being like, what else is in there? You also gave my kid cotton candy. Thanks a lot, you jerk. I, I did buy cotton candy because we were standing outside for the national anthem, and my son didn't understand why we were not going up to sit at our seats. And I was just like, well, I tell you what, we're really supposed to be listening to the national anthem, but they're playing O Canada, so let's go get cotton candy right now, and then we're going to come back for the Star Spangled Banner. I find cotton candy to be disgusting. It is pretty disgusting. It's but just sugar Mixed with spit. I'm really glad that your both of our kids licked off the same cotton candy. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, it's oh, it's foul. Uh, you know, sans kids though. Uh, for for us, for my wife and I, the the tradition is usually on a kidless day we will try to get to the park early enough to do Dempsey's uh, right before the game starts and maybe into the first inning or so. You know, kind of get that experience. I love Dempsey's, by the way. Yeah. And then, uh, again, try to hit up the flag court just to get the view um, of a game as it's going on. And just, you know, take a walk around the park and, and kind of enjoy it because it is, you know, such a beautiful place to watch baseball. Once again, you are flinging your money way too much around the stadium. The tradition always should be, if it's you and your wife, it should be stop at Wawa, get yourself a sandwich, pop in an iced tea and lemonade in a gallon, half a gallon container, put in your backpack walk into the stadium, sit down like the old man that you are, open your sandwich, and feed the pigeons. Yeah, that happens plenty. That yes. happens plenty. So it, it made me wonder, what what is your, uh, Bird's Eye View listener, what is your game day tradition? What does a day at the park look like? Uh, you can tweet at us. We're at Bird's Eye View B-A-L. You can send us an email, uh, contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Let us know what being an Orioles fan at the park looks like for you. Uh, because it's a little bit different for everybody, and that little bit different changes um, at different stages of your life or or whoever you're with. I'm curious, what does it look like for everybody else? Yeah, I'd actually even be curious too. Of since Jake's tradition is you know about spending money in the park, I'd be even curious to it's see nuts. what is the weirdest thing you've brought into the ballpark to eat. That'd be what I'm curious about. I think if your wife brought in hummus one time, which was she extremely did. weird to me, she did. And with that. Let's see who won this week in Fantasy Boss. Well, when it comes to popping a natural finger popping, baby, you sure do swing. And when it comes to popping in a natural finger popping, daddy, you are the king. Baby, Got me beat up and down inside and across. Ooh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining right near the ball. Man, that's so much better than Brian Setzer and Gwen Stefani. You're so wrong. All right, so the category last week was hits. Uh, Manny Machado had 12, which was my choice. And Jake, you had Adam Jones at nine. I feel like this is an asterisk one because Adam Jones can turn on that one game. Maybe he threw it off a little bit, but both really nice appearances from both players this week. But it does take the score to five to four to two. And much like the Orioles seasons, we're looking at the prospect of meaningful contests in September. Maybe. So, Jake, you get to pick this week's category. What will it be? All right, Scott, I'm not going to go for some mere counting stat. Mm. I don't know what got into you. Hits, home runs, fun? No. I'm going to something a little gorier than that. I want to look at the K- who will have their socks the highest this week for the Baltimore Orioles. It's clearly going to be Tim Beckham. That's true. I want to go for K minus walk percentage. Okay. All right. And I'm not going to limit it to a starter or a reliever. I want to know who you think this week is going to have the highest K minus walk percentage. Hmm. This is a good one. Um, no, it's not. Don't hate it, me. It's a it's a great one. Um, I'm going to go with Miguel Castro. That's a great one. That is a great one. I'm going to go with Darren O'Day. I feel like whenever he's in there, even when he even when he is uh is bad. Yep. He racks up the strikeouts. All right, well we will see who will own it this week. 
Jake is going with Darren O'Day for K-minus walkweight. I'm going to go with the indomitable Miguel Castro. We will see who will own it. And with that, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to start it off this week. Um, I'm going to exclude today's performance and go with last week in Orioles baseball. My good for this week is going to go to Dylan Bundy, who I thought pitched an absolute gem. Um, It may have been one of the best Orioles starting performances that I've seen, um, maybe since the near-perfect game that Musina pitched. I thought Dylan Bundy was um, as close to perfection from an Orioles starter that I've seen potentially in my lifetime. Don't enjoy that. He pitched too long. He did pitch a lot longer <laughs> than I wanted to, but at the same point of, he did pitch a really good game. I Here's the thing. If he would have gone into that ninth inning and it would have been no hits and, or, and no walks, I'd have been like, absolutely, you have to send him out. But there, the complete game shutout doesn't do it for me like a no hitter or a perfect game were. I mean, at that point, you're, yes, you definitely are pulling my heartstrings and you've got to kind of go for it. But at that point, it came back to what benefit does it serve to go out there and have him pitch 120 pitches as opposed to just stopping at 108. But all that aside, it was a masterfully pitched it, Regardless of that, if it would have been even pulled in the eighth inning, I still say that was one of the best performances I've seen from an Orioles starter in a very long time, decades potentially. So, All right. Well, my good goes to Wellington Castillo, and it's not just because he had a way to run creative plus 315. It's not that five of his 12 hits were extra base hits and four of which were home runs. It's when he hit them. Wellington Castillo has been a big part of the winning and preserving of games this week, providing a bit of Orioles magic at a pivotal juncture of this season. Wellington Castillo, very good this week. All right, so my bad for the week is going to go to Joey Rickard, um, who is doing everything with the situation of coming back up to the Orioles and doing nothing with it. Um, I think the thing that frustrates me so much about Joey Rickard was looking at Sunday's game and that bunt attempt. If Joey Rickard can't learn how to bunt, I don't understand what he's doing at the plate going forward. Yeah, he may have some defensive benefit, but offensively, Joey Rickard is showing absolutely nothing. Um, I yearn for the days of David Lowe is how bad it is at this point. Ugh. Ugh. My bad goes to my, my bad could go to you for bringing up both Brian Mattis and David Lowe in the same episode. And Brad Bergeson. And Brad Bergeson. Uh, my bad goes to Jeremy Hellickson, only making it through four and two thirds of an inning in his last start. This is a guy who was brought uh, to the Orioles to shore up their terrible pitching staff, and he seems to be just adding to the problems. He's bad. Jake, my ugly is going to go to Chris Tillman. Um, I believe you put this so perfectly on Sunday when we won the game is if you can win a Chris Tillman game, it's a good day. And that's exactly what the Orioles did. The Orioles overcame Chris Tillman to uh, bolster uh, their win record. And it was interesting, too, because you saw when he got pulled and you saw the runs that were scored. And you're just like, well, that's pretty bad. But then he comes out and says, oh, well, his ERA actually dropped in the process. It's like. That just shows you how bad Chris Tillman has been this year. Um, Chris Tillman honestly shouldn't see another start this season. I I, I, I know we've said that about Abaldo Jimenez, but Chris Tillman is pitching worse than Abaldo Jimenez potentially ever has. And without the puppy dog eyes. And without the puppy dog eyes. I don't know what the Orioles are going to do about this, but the Orioles need to seriously have a conversation of what is Chris Tillman bringing to the table right now that is of any benefit to us as a starting pitcher. And if Jason Aquino or an Alec Asher or a Chris Lee can't do that, then the Orioles are going to be going to be in trouble for the rest of the season. All right. My ugly goes to the home field advantage of the New York Yankees. And of course I'm talking about the Monday Labor Day, Labor Day game Look, I know that the Yankees are good again, and I know that it's cheap and it's easy to get here from New York. And I know that this is an area that is just full of bandwagoners, but I hate it when Yankees fans are loud in our park. I hate it. 
I lived through so many years of listening to them, and I hate being miserable in my own park. And I hate when you know bad things happen for my team, and I'm sitting at home watching our ballpark explode into cheers. It just adds to my frustration. The ugly for me this week is knowing that this is going to be a series of a home field advantage for the other guys. It sucks. So can we talk about this just for a second? Because we talked about um, today's game being played at 2 o'clock. Yeah. It wasn't put on national television, but it was a 2 o'clock game at Labor Day. And not all the games were played at 2 o'clock today. There were several games there played later this evening because it's a Monday. Jake, I raised you this question. When the schedule came out, do you think the Orioles specifically asked for this game to be at 2 o'clock so they, they could draw in fans that were Yankees fans in order to get them an extra weekend game against the Yankees? No, nah, I don't think so. Okay. No, I don't think so. Um, Call me a conspiracy theorist, but I think this was particularly done by the Baltimore Orioles saying, if you're going to give us a Labor Day game, we want it to be at 2 o'clock so we can have a, a a large capacity at our stadium, and they didn't care one way or the other how they got there. No, because I th- I think that Major League Baseball could have uh, benefited more from showcasing this game, and by this game I mean a game in which the New York Yankees were playing in prime time. Uh, I, I I see what you're saying there. Um, it's possible. I just you think that the the, the Major League Baseball is going to try to do favors for the Orioles who are refusing to give the Nationals more mass and money? It's mm, a good point. It's a good point. Doesn't happen often. I just come back to, I look at Sunday's game, for example. Beautiful day. Yep. And we had um, 27,000 people there. Um, today, 37,000 people showed up today for the baseball game. Well, probably a good 15,000 and then cockroaches for the rest. Okay. But still, 37,000 people. I, I really feel like this wasn't just a, a, a an aspect of day baseball. I feel like this was a situation where... Uh, this was a, a cash grab, and I really feel like this was a cash grab potentially set up by the Orioles that we never even noticed coming into the day. All right, it's possible. I just it doesn't seem to fit the, the either that or it's Mark Trumbo's fault. I agree. Okay. Well, with that, um, do you want to go ahead and blow the save and uh, take us out for the rest of the show? Let's do it. All right, Scotty, this is a little uh, unusual. I'm hoping you'll allow it. Actually, I actually have two, two small items for my blowing of the save this week. Uh, the first is I wanted to thank uh, a couple of folks for reaching out and, and just getting in touch with us. I had a lot of really great conversations over email and Twitter this week with some uh, fellow Orioles fans and listeners of the program. Um, you know, so here and abroad, um, talked, had an interesting conversation with somebody who is from France and roots for the Orioles and is trying to build a following of, of Orioles fans out there. And also talked to some folks locally who've, uh, who've reached out to us, you know, from DC, some from the Baltimore area. Um, so I just want to say thanks, uh, to everybody that's, that's reached out and talked to us recently. Uh, one of the nice things about doing the show is that we get to meet people with whom we share the, the passion of, of caring about the Orioles. Um, so thanks. That makes doing this that much more meaningful. Secondly, I wanted to extend uh, some thanks to Darren O'Day. Um, I mentioned earlier in passing that my kid broke his arm. He's fine. It was very, very minor. He's going to have a cast for four weeks. Um, but we Can went I come back like throwing 95 miles per hour now. So we're in business. Absolutely. It's going to be like rookie of the year. Um, but we went to Sunday's game early um, to get some autographs. And I'm not really a big autograph guy, but uh, Henry went and got his, his cast autographed. And Darren O'Day was incredibly gracious to him. He stopped, he chatted with him for a few minutes, was interested in how it happened and talked about, you know, him breaking his arm as a kid. He just, he took an extra little bit in what should be his routine of getting ready for the game, signing autographs, uh, you know, greeting fans, et cetera, et cetera, and made a personal connection with my kid. And really that's what baseball is all about. Henry's going to remember that. He's going to remember that conversation with a baseball player long after he forgets how he broke his arm or what he ate for lunch that day or whatever. Um, it was really, it was really cool. And so for all of the times where I am frustrated with Darren a day's performance or all the times that we just think of these guys as, you know, numbers on a page, uh, this was a, a nice reminder for me, um, that it's the people that matter. 
Um, I should mention that uh, also he got he got autographs from Alec Asher and Richard Blyer. Richard Blyer is completely unmistakable. Like he show, the only reason I knew who he was is because he put his number on the cast. Just he's like Donnie Hart. We talked about like yeah. least recognizable. Aura. You could walk down the street and you'd be like, no "Nope, idea. didn't really realize that was an Oriole player right there." But Darren O'Day, thank you so much. It was a uh, it was a great moment, and that that is our show. So remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Network Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Our show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and a review. It helps establish what's called social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check us out. Engage with us on social media. You can find us at Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and most importantly, on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Pray for some wins. And let's go O's. Seriously, Richard Blyer could be anybody. A man with no face. That's a Game of Thrones reference. That was a Mel Gibson reference. still here it's over go home go